Happy New Year again. What a year it will be. This year, Jane and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage in June, and I'll finish my Masters of Divinity in December. Hallelujah. <laughs> Special hello to the internet and its people. Hello. Speaking of school, this past quarter I was taking an ethics class, and the title was Creation Care and Sabbath Economics. It was a great class. And I would say, feel free to ask me more about it sometime, but this sermon may lead you to not want to do that, but that's okay. One of the assignments was a sermon, and knowing I was on the preaching calendar for New Year's Day, and my kids would be off school in the week leading up to today, you see where I'm going, I wrote that assignment as if I was writing to you all. Even though I didn't know then what would happen with the election, with Russia and Ukraine, with protests in Iran or inflation, how many blizzards we'd see in the last week. I, had, I hadn't even begun to think about the World Cup. I mean, it's been a ride these last few months. And I'm not going to ask whether you'd like to hear it or not because I don't have another sermon handy if you don't. Fortunately, by some miracle of the revised common lectionary, the four texts that are assigned for New Year's Day this year, fit well with the themes of that course. In our call to worship, we have praised God whose name is majestic in all of the earth, from Psalm 8. In our prayer of confession, we, re we reflected on where we might have left someone thirsty without something to drink or sick and uninvited, as Jesus describes in Matthew 25. Our first scripture lesson that Renee read is from the last chapter in our Bibles, where God reveals to John a new heaven and a new earth. And so the last assigned text for New Year's Day is are words that are familiar in a folk anthem from the 60s or from the book of Ecclesiastes from 30 centuries ago. From Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. Listen now for the word of God to you. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, you call us 
You speak to us through the scriptures. You bring us into a new year, and we thank you that we have seen the turning of a new year. We pray your blessing on it. We pray your blessing on our hearts and minds this morning as we reflect and listen together. Inspire us and move us. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Some seasons and times are longer than others. But I would argue that we humans have been in a long season of a progress, which, in the, which the consequences are just becoming clear. Here at the turning of a new year, in a moment for resolutions and reevaluations, I hope you'll consider that this year could become a season of change for how we as individuals, as families, as a church community, how we steward the resources of our earth. To quote author William Dyerness, our moral responsibility to the earth cannot be excluded from our Christian calling. Now, I spend more time worrying about that moral responsibility than I, than I do acting myself, I admit. So like any decent sermon, this, this is as much about me as it is about you. We all know there are a multitude of environmental challenges that face our world, right? To share a lot would be overwhelming. I'm just going to share one. I've, I, haven't heard, I hadn't heard it framed this particular way before. So now I've yet to travel there, but I understand that from Georgia north to Virginia, there are these unusual elevation changes and rises from the coastal plains called scarps. Anybody know a scarp? Have you ever heard of a scarp? That's a fun word. The elevation change is like 100 feet or so in some places, sort of like the height of the bluffs overlooking that cement boat in Aptos or the lighthouse beach in Santa Cruz. And I mention the height of those bluffs because the scarps are themselves the eroded memory of coastal bluffs when the ocean went all the way inland to that point three million years ago. We're going to see if this map is visible. Okay, oh, I can see. Can you see the green dots? Those of you closer to the front, there are green dots there on the map, uh, you know, where it isn't blue anymore. And those green dots are where you find the scarps. That's how far in the ocean was. Now, I mentioned three million years ago, because at that particular time in our prehistory, that is the most recent time in Earth's past where the atmosphere had as much CO2, carbon dioxide in it, as ours presently does. On average, three million years ago, the entire Earth was about seven to eight degrees warmer, it's Fahrenheit, and the poles were even warmer still, 12, 15 degrees. And the oceans were 15 to 80 feet higher. We've heard about rising seas. That's what they're talking about. I think I should say 15 to 80 feet deeper, so we know that it's not just rising 80 feet up the beach, but rather covering over everything that isn't 80 feet above the current sea level. That's good on the map. Thank you. That's the last time. 
that the CO2 was at 400 parts per million in, the, in our atmosphere. And I know that's like a super nerdy statistic, especially those of you watching in Tahoe, you know that's a nerdy statistic. But, and obviously the seas haven't risen significantly yet. That's because we're dealing with a much longer time scale than human life. Speaking of a human life, since 1950, basically the life of my parents, the CO2 in the atmosphere has gone from 300 parts per million to over 400 parts per million. 25%, 33% increase in that time. Um, and many of the weird catastrophes we read about, or the drought we're living in, or you know, getting snowed in, whether you're in Buffalo or Truckee or whatever, many of those things are examples of the Earth's climate catching up or reacting to the heat-trapping gases already in the atmosphere. The seas have only begun rising, but my kids' grandchildren might very well see oceans that are five, eight, ten feet higher. And I know from experience it's impossibly hard to act on that reality, but it shouldn't be too hard to conceive. We've been, we've been hearing about it for long enough. Now, I read an op-ed piece a few weeks ago, and that was really just a few weeks ago, not months ago. I read it about how environmentalists just can't bring the right message to move people. And I was chuckling about it because I knew this sermon shares the same problem. Uh, you know, if you're talking about environmentalism just as much as if you're talking about uh, religious uh, pietism, you come off as a dogmatic scold. It's all about guilt trips. It's kind of the same problem that Israel's prophets had or that Jesus himself occasionally had Doomsday warnings are not appreciated. Thank you very much. Especially if you have a bit of a, shall we say, leftover New Year's headache. Nobody, nobody wants to hear it. But this writer I was reading, he was complaining how people who care about the natural world don't know how to, how to as, as he put it, sell the beach. People don't know how to sell the beach. In other parts of the country, it's a hassle to get to the beach, something we're blessed to not relate to. But it's a hassle to get to the other beach in other places. You have to get the pack, you get a plane ride, you gotta sit in the airport, you know how the airports go these days. It's expensive, but somehow, the marketers of the travel companies have, sell, have sold the beach as this great and wonderful place, and it is. Um, they sell the positive relaxation, not the hassle of getting there. And I was thinking about that, and I was, I was, I was really trying, uh, but I'm still struggling on, on this point, because with the example of rising seas, I'm worried, you know, the, the worry is, where's the beach? Hard to sell. Now, today's beaches are not where they've always been. The earth goes through changes. It does. It's a time for glaciers and a time for glacial retreat, a time for eruptions and for dormant volcanoes, a time of forests in Antarctica, a time of ice sheets. Now, the speed that we're currently moving is just too fast. It's not the normal pace of change for the Earth. Beyond all of us just being a lot sweatier in the future than we have been, especially me, scientists are worried because the plants, animals, especially the microscopic ones, they may not have time to adapt and evolve as in the past. 
Should we abandon hope because the changes seem so daunting? Shouldn't we trust that God will just wipe away this earth anyway, like our first lesson suggests? <sighs> no and no, fortunately. We must not abandon hope. For God created the earth and calls it good. It is still good. God loves this world. And, and we trust in that God who loves this world. But God's new heaven and new earth are renewed and restored, not completely different planets or planes of existence. We can't rely on everything being scrapped. In the new heaven and the new earth, God is creating, not, is not creating all new things, but God is making all things new. Just a little difference. Theologian Stephen Buma Prediger reminds us that salvation and redemption is far wider than human beings and human sin. He writes, salvation catches up not just human beings, but also trees and shrubs, rivers, lions, lambs, and snakes. Indeed, if Jesus did not die for white-tailed deer, red-headed woodpeckers, blue whales, and green Belizean rainforests, he did not die for you and me. Jesus comes to save not just us, but the whole world. Think about how that expands our calling. More than most of us give much thought to it, God cares about the state of the world and our place in it, and the future of earth and all its inhabitants. One bit of good news that our scripture highlights this morning is that things can and do change. That's part of the point of the text, is that things can and do change. There could be a time to tear down a lifestyle dependent on convenient stuff, and a time to build up a community of interdependent relationships. There could be a time to weep for the species we are losing, but a time to laugh at losing hope. The time has passed to keep silent about how we're treating our planet, and the time has come to speak up on its behalf. It's, it's just not a time anymore to delay or deny or hide from the truth, but it's a time to be real and honest with where we stand. And where we stand is in a time and a place where it's just like not reasonable to procrastinate anymore. There are choices we can make and habits we can unlearn. Because the best defense against losing hope is taking action. On the individual level, individual actions will not be enough. But we can all play a part in seeking the Earth's good for the sake of all life. And our actions can be an encouragement for others, if done right. They don't need to be a guilt trip. They can be an encouragement. Somebody's got a good idea, you could follow their lead. I was telling Jane that I was working on a New Year's Day sermon related to care for the, for the earth, for creation, and asked her about New Year's resolutions and changes we might practice to lessen our carbon and larger environmental impact. So here's four ideas she committed us to. Number one, make at least one more dinner per week vegetarian. Jane is zealous for making sure we eat all of our leftovers. So when we cook a dinner, we're usually eating it for another two lunches. 
Even one dinner per week is like 150 vegetarian meals a year for us, which maybe is hyperbole, but it's close. Number two, reducing waste when we go shopping. We've all given up our plastic bags, except during the pandemic, but uh, when <laughs> you get to the supermarket and there's still all of those produce bags and things like that, so we're trying to bring reusable containers, reusable bags, even just reuse the plastic bags we already have, so we don't take more. Number three, no driving to the grocery store. Now, not everyone can do this because of lots of reasons, but we can uh, with just a little more planning. And I already walk to the store, but then if I have to go to Knob Hill, which is, you know, 200 yards further, uh, I don't always ride my bike. I've, I'll, I'll get in the car because of time or whatever. So the plan is to not do that anymore. Um, the real goal is to keep grocery planning from being urgent. Last thing, and it's kind of all around food, because it was a, let me give you five minutes to think about this, Jane. Uh, expanding our garden is the fourth thing. You may have a great garden already. Some of you do. I mean, uh, Carolyn definitely does. Uh, and we love having herbs and, and lemons whenever we need them, but we're, we're trying to expand our, our small plots to make them a little bit more, to grow more, to preserve more, to share more. And, you know, as I said, these individual steps will not keep the seas from rising. But what I'm getting at here is an added discipline for our discipleship. Maybe prayer has never been your strong suit, or reading the scriptures on a daily basis is hard, too connect, dis disconnected for your everyday life. But what if our Christian calling to be disciples and followers of Jesus included small and large acts for environmental impact? Are you looking for a new way for God's kingdom to be lived on earth as it is in heaven? Try out these ideas. The few ideas I listed for Jane, from Jane. Uh, there are also a million other ideas. I know that many of you, I see many of you here today that have taught me things about how to care for our earth. People that have given me books or given me ideas. I wonder what ideas you might adopt as part of your faith practice. That's at the individual or the family level. What if we go bigger? We can also work together and to learn and to organize, and that's, of course, where the biggest changes can happen, at a, at a more regional, global level. And if you want to learn more about environmental issues or economic issues, there's a million ways to do that. I recommend a local organization that I discovered in my research. It's pretty cool. It's called SPUR, S-P-U-R dot O-R-G. And they are an advocacy organization. What I like about them is that they're really positive, and they bring different organizations already doing good work together to talk about it. Uh, and it turns out one of our church members is on the board. So you know they're doing good work. What about here at PCLG? Can some of us ride our bikes to events every now and again, like the Anvics and the Smiths and the Thompsons? Yeah. Will solar ever be a manageable choice for our campus? Could be. Are there even more ways we can landscape to encourage the bees and the butterflies and the hummingbirds around? Almost certainly, right? Knowing us and, and Carolyn, we'd probably make these challenges fun. 
what a witness we might be to our neighborhood if we did these things. What a witness to our neighborhood if we included them in our ideas and solicited them for ideas on how we can all work together. Only God knows what the new year will bring. And times are, you know, continue to be uncertain. There is much to do. I've tossed out some ideas in this sermon like scattered stones. You can change some family habits. You can learn and organize with organizations like SPUR. You can dream up ways for all of us at PCLG to seek better practices for the health of our earth. Won't you resolve with me to gather these ideas and stones together along with your own ideas for action? It could be a new season for our church and our world, if we are willing. Now, as Erica and Jack lead us in the Lord's Supper, I pray the fruits of the earth that we'll eat and drink will nourish us to help the earth in return. Amen.